This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. To start, I was 10 years old at the time. And back then, my grandparents used to own a whole apartment complex. And the leasing office was attached to our place in the complex. So this is where I spent most of my childhood. My grandmother would run the office, and my grandfather would do all the physical labor around with the other workers. I spent a lot of time in the complex, riding my bike, walking my Jack Russell Terrier, playing in the creeks behind the trees, like normal kid stuff, nothing crazy. I always felt safe around there, and everyone knew me as the owner's grandchildren. Certain parts of these memories get a little foggy as I get older, so I can't remember every incident but I remember enough to know this man. Something just wasn't right with him. I didn't know my grandmother leased to this man until I actually met him. The first time I met him, I was walking around the complex, doing nothing in particular, but minding my business, and then I see him. He approaches me and begins to make small talk, and me being friendly, I always spoke back. He mentioned how he just moved in, how his apartment is super cool, and he doesn't mind if me and my friends ever wanted to come over. I didn't think anything of it at the time, so I agreed. But things just started to progress the more I'd see him around. Eventually, I knew something wasn't right. The next time I met him, I was walking around the entrance of the apartment complex, and to add, the community college was right behind the apartment complex. So I used to head over there, and you could cut through to the college by the entrance of the apartments. I was only ever over there because the overhead bridge that looked down on the creek was there, and I used to enjoy peeking over the side and seeing the fish swim around. Well, one time, I was hanging by the bridge, doing what kids do, and when I turned around, there he was, peeing into the bushes near the walkway that linked the college and the apartments. He sees me, and he turns towards me, exposing himself, and he quickly apologizes for me seeing him like this. Of course, as a ten-year-old, your brain doesn't process things as easily, so I told him it was okay and just walked away. He stood there for a moment, watching me as I walked back towards the apartments. And that was the end of it. I went home. While this is a terrifying experience, it didn't sink in until later just how creepy it was but he began getting really creepy after this because the last two encounters I very clearly remember were the final straw to it all. And little 10-year-old me started to realize that this wasn't okay. I was walking my dog Buddy one day and he sees me again and approaches me. He asked if he could pet the dog. I was hesitant but agreed because my dog is very friendly and I never taught him to be mean. He crouched down to pet him and his junk fell out of the side of his shorts. He sat there, petting my dog, and groping himself very visibly for me to see. I was appalled. I honestly didn't know what to do, and alarms were going off in my head. 
I just stared at what he was doing as he asked me what I liked to do, if I'd like to come over and play games with him, and told him I better get going so I can finish walking my dog. The final encounter? I had my best friend, who was also ten at the time, and my sister, who was three, over at the house with me, and we decided to take the dog for a walk. He was fun to walk with, very hyper, and would drag you if you let him. We were walking in the backyard of some apartments, and lo and behold, that man appears, almost like he knew we were there, like he was watching us. He began to casually talk, complimenting my dog, and asking us if we wanted to see his dog. My little sister agreed and walked a little closer as he pulled out his phone. I was fooled for a second and thought maybe he really does have a dog. He crouched down next to my sister and started showing photos. Well, as I got closer, I realized he was showing nude photos of him and his dog. Then I realized he was groping himself as he had exposed himself through his shorts again. He was too close to my baby sister for comfort, and it made me very uncomfortable. He could have snatched her and easily ran away if that's what he wanted to do, and that's something that I always think about. I was in a state of shock as I realized he was inviting us over again. Best friend realized this was creepy as well, and we just exchanged looks. I knew that I needed to get us out of there, so I bent down to pet my dog and I unclipped his leash knowing he'd dart away at an intense speed. And he did, just as I planned. We yelled the dog was loose, grabbed my sister, and noped the fuck out of there, and left him exactly where he remained, just staring at us. We ran home in tears, telling my grandfather everything I experienced since the day that man moved in. I felt horrible knowing that I let it escalate so long to the point others around me were exposed to it. The cops were called, he was arrested on the spot, and we had to tell everything to child investigators, cops, and the news. It was a lot, and after he was gone, reality set in, and so did the trauma. I swear, that dog saved us and got us out of there in the nick of time, and I miss him every day, because if I didn't have him, I wouldn't have known what to do. As an adult, I just think more about what would have happened if I fell for going to his apartment. Or even worse, if he got his hands on a child that was ten times more gullible than me. The up part is he only stayed in jail for the weekend until his family bonded him out. So if you're reading this, Giovanni, rotten hell you creep. I live alone in an apartment in Utah. My area is fairly metropolitan, and it's not uncommon to see unhoused people near my building. Since I'm a single woman, I'm usually more cautious about locking doors and setting alarms than my friends with roommates. I have a simply safe alarm system and also two deadbolt locks on my door. Because my area has a lot of break-ins, I'm also sure to always lock everything, no matter what. Two nights ago, I came home late from a night out with friends, but I was sober. I made sure to lock everything and set alarms like usual. When I woke up the next morning, I heard somebody in my house. They were wearing shoes and just walking around from what I could hear. 
One of my friends has the code to my alarm, but none of my friends have a key. I quietly leaned my head out of my bedroom door, which is just a few feet from the open living room, kitchen area where the sound was coming from, and there was a man in my kitchen. He was about six feet tall, maybe 40 years old. He was wearing a full suit and tie, but seemed really tired or drunk or something. He was standing by my fridge and eating leftovers out of Tupperware and just kind of staring off. I ducked back into my room and called 911. For the next 10 minutes, I stood by my bedroom door and listened to this man eat a bunch of my food from the fridge. When the police showed up, both deadbolts were still locked. They knocked on the door and the man in my apartment answered. The police rushed him, got him subdued, and then yelled to make sure that I was okay. When I came out of the bedroom, they had the man pinned to the floor, and I saw that he had rearranged the furniture in my living room, and that there were containers of half-eaten food all over the floor. The man wasn't saying anything, even when the police were asking him questions. After they took him away, the officer told me that the man had business cards in his wallet, and that he works at a bank downtown. The weirdest thing here is that my alarm was set and both deadbolts were locked from the inside even while he was in my apartment. I'm up on the fourth floor and none of my windows were unlocked or open either. I have no idea how he got in. Update. I've been speaking to an investigator about exactly what happened concerning the man who broke in. That man I'll call Jake for the sake of clarity. On Tuesday of this week, the lead investigator, Nelson, emailed me with this message that said, among other things, don't let anybody wearing a hard hat in... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To your apartment. He told me that the man who had gotten into my house never worked at the bank downtown and that they had tracked the business cards to another person entirely. Additionally, the man who broke into my house is unable to speak. On Wednesday night, all of the tenants in my building received a message that light construction work would be ongoing for the next few days to repair wiring and plumbing within the building. I told my landlord in a message that an investigator into my case has requested for me to deny access to any person wearing a hard hat into the apartment. My landlord told me that there would be no reason for the construction crew to enter my apartment as all the work they were doing was in community access breaker boxes and the basement beneath the building. A few hours later, though, I got a knock on my door. It was around 10.15 at this point. When I looked through the peephole, there was a man in a denim jumpsuit standing outside my door. He wasn't wearing a hard hat, although he did have a tool belt and appeared to be some kind of construction worker. I asked him what he needed, and he said that he needed to check the pipes in my bathroom. I asked him why he would be doing such a thing at 10.15 at night. 
and he said that they were trying to get to all the residences while the water was already turned off. I asked him if he could contact my landlord on speakerphone, so I knew that he was legit. And instead of complying, he grew angry and told me that he was just doing his job. I told him he wasn't allowed to come into my apartment and I wouldn't be opening the door for him. I then stepped back into my bedroom. I then called 911 and informed them of my situation, asking if they could come by and check on the workers. The dispatcher told me that she would send somebody to my building. I then called my landlord and told her that somebody was trying to get into my apartment in a construction outfit, and she told me that they had left several hours before. I went back to the door and looked through the peephole, but of course he was gone by that time. When the police did show up about 20 minutes later, they couldn't find the man anywhere in the building. However, in the video of our entrance near the mailboxes, the man was seen entering the building around 10 p.m. Early the next morning, Nelson the investigator called me and asked if I could meet him at the police station. When I got there, Nelson walked me back into his office. He had an iPad on his desk and a plastic three-ring binder like I used to use in school. He opened the binder and flipped through some pages before settling and looking at me. Nelson then told me that the man who got into my apartment was named Jake and that he's unable to speak but is fluent in American Sign Language. He can hear perfectly fine and he typically carries a notebook with him to write in for those who can't sign. Nelson told me how Jake got into my apartment and what the deal with the construction worker was. You see, Jake went missing in mid-December. He works for the Nevada Department of Transportation. Until December of last year, Jake was a fairly well-respected family man. In his teens, he had been addicted to drugs, but he had kicked the habit and started working for the DOT. For the next couple of decades, Jake got married, had a kid, and lived pretty comfortably. However, he had relapsed in December for unknown reasons, and soon after, that's when he disappeared. Jake fell off the grid for some time, but the next time that he showed up, it was in Utah, and he was cited for a minor vehicle infraction. The next time the authorities saw Jake, it was in my apartment. After they took him to the station, they had a long conversation with him where they would talk, he would write, and they would talk again. Jake failed to make sense to the investigators, though. He wrote about being hungry and not being able to sleep, and when they asked him how he got into my apartment, he would write about how he didn't need any help. Eventually, Nelson was able to get the story from Jake, though. During his first few weeks in Utah, Jake had started going to bars and meeting some blue-collar workers in the area. He got onto a road construction job from his past DOT experience and met another drug addict named Patrick. He and Patrick both used hard drugs, and Patrick has been known to get into apartments by posing as a construction worker, and he has sold stolen goods from apartments to pay for his habit. The night that Jake got into my apartment, he was wearing a suit, and his method of breaking in was to look nice enough for someone to just let him through the entrance. After that, he would slip into any unlocked apartment, step out of their window, and go seeking for other neighbors' windows to pry open. Apparently, one of my windows has a broken latch, and it cannot be properly locked. I also don't have any sensors on my windows, so that explains why the alarm never went off. When Jake entered my apartment, he had already been to several others. 
He was high while he was doing all this, and he was hungry from several hours of sneaking around. So he went into my fridge and started eating. Nelson also said that the original owner of the business cards lives in my building, and Jake had stolen them from the entrance of the man's apartment. Nelson said Patrick would likely try to hit the same apartments as Jake at some point, so it didn't surprise him that Patrick showed up at my apartment not long after Jake did. Nelson said he would be contacting me eventually for the trial, and that it might be a good idea to intensify security in my apartment until they catch Patrick. I'm no police investigator, but I'm pretty sure that I could have suggested that myself. This story happened in New York City. Years ago, when I was a freshman in college, I was out partying one night with some friends. I wasn't drunk or on any hard drugs, but I definitely smoked a blunt or two. At around 3 a.m., we all went our separate ways, and I got off the train and began walking home. I had to take a longer route home that night because some train lines were under maintenance. When I got off the train, I realized I had to walk past the cemetery and started to feel uneasy, but I wasn't afraid for any real reason. About 10 blocks, and I'm home. I always saw trucks lined up on the cemetery blocks, and being that it was a very desolate area, I assumed that truckers would park their trucks by the cemetery to take naps, or just to rest before continuing their routes. Back then, I thought nothing of it. A few minutes after getting off the train, I heard a faint sound of what I guessed was a car or truck door being shut behind me. I turned around and saw nothing. I did a quick scan of my surroundings and didn't see another person ahead or behind me for as far as I could see. I keep walking, this time a bit faster, and about a minute later, I hear footsteps coming from behind me. When I turn, I happen to see a man just a few feet behind me. When he saw me turn around, he began catcalling me by making kissing noises. I was used to these catcalls, especially living in New York City. By my house, there would be a line of men on the corner every morning, waiting to be picked up for construction work, and every time I passed them to go to the store, I would get catcalled and harassed. So I just ignored him and kept walking, but definitely faster this time. A few seconds later, he was running to catch up with me, and he was now at my side, speaking Spanish to me, which I don't speak. He grabbed my arm tightly and began pulling me towards him. When I started screaming and fighting him off, he pushed me up against the cemetery fence, and in the midst of this, my heart sunk to the floor as I thought I was about to get assaulted, or even worse. Seconds later, he had me off of my feet by both arms, but his face turned pale white in the moonlight. A look of pure horror covered his face as he stared past me into the cemetery, fixated on something that I couldn't see. He let out a blood-curdling scream and let me go. As I dropped to the ground, he was already across the street and running out of sight. Choking on tears, shaking, beside myself, I picked myself up and ran as fast as I could the last few blocks to my house. I didn't turn to look inside that cemetery once. I didn't turn around at all. I didn't stop until I was at home. I never took that train or walked past that cemetery again. And to be honest, I never told my parents and only told a handful of friends over the years 
because to this day, I still don't understand what happened. But I do believe that something that that horrible man saw absolutely saved my life.